The Lord be with you. A reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. To the eleven disciples, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Before we begin, ask for your prayers for our youth group. They're at the Caligari Ranch right now this morning. They camped out since last night. It was beautiful. We had a campfire with the youth group, and then they spent the night there, and then I just came back from there because we had a, a sunrise mass at 6.30 in the morning. And so uh, we had mass. If you ever been to the ranch there, there's a beautiful cross on the property, and you have to hike up this, this steep hill to get there. And if you can imagine hiking up with teenagers that you just... Woke up from a 5 a.m. sleep. And of course, they just, they just, like mountain goats, they just skipped all the way up there, didn't they? No, they complained the entire way up. Huh? So we had mass on that mountain there as the sun was rising. It was beautiful. So pray for them. They're now having donuts. I just left them. So they're stuffing their faces. So praise the Lord. So pray for the youth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There was a beautiful sight yesterday in Sacramento. We did the 12th annual Great Marian Procession. So there's a, there's a at the East Lawn Cemetery there in, in Sacramento, one of our Catholic cemeteries, we had a procession. There was about, gosh, uh, I would estimate probably about a thousand Catholics. And we processed through the streets of Sacramento on a 3.5 mile hiked through the city, and it ended at the cathedral. We had a beautiful, solemn high mass, and it was a beautiful public witness of the Catholic faith. And if you've ever been to the cathedral, I highly recommend you visit the Mother Church of the Diocese. It is arguably, in fact, I should even say arguably, it is the most beautiful cathedral in all of California. It was constructed in 1866, around that time period, during the Gold Rush era. The first bishop of Sacramento, Bishop Minogue, when he was deciding where to build the new cathedral, because the Diocese of Sacramento was just forming, he specifically bought a piece of property that was one block away from the Capitol building. 
That was on purpose. And when he constructed the designs of the cathedral itself, we, he constructed a dome. It was to mimic the dome of the capital. But, for one point, it's bigger. And again, that was on purpose. Because he wanted to tell the politicians there in that building that the church is more powerful than you. Spiritual authority is worth more than any political power or wealth. See, he did that because, as we know, politicians, and it's not just unique to California politics, but politics in general, people in power tend to think of themselves very highly. Do you know where the richest zip code is, by the way, in the United States? The, the rich, the most wealthiest people that live, the most wealthiest people in the United States are out of the counties surrounding Washington, D.C. Why do you think that is? What product are the people around D.C. producing? Are they producing the latest iPhones or computers or the greatest software? No. Because the people there peddle power and influence. And oh, there's plenty of money where that is. It's nothing new, again. Because power corrupts, as the famous saying goes, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But Christ now comes with something radically more powerful than any economy or any influence. Listen to the beautiful words today as we celebrate this great solemnity of the ascension of the Lord, this great teaching that Christ ascends back into heaven with his glorified body. And he's with the disciples there on a mountain, as, as we read in the gospel. It said this, this is the last parting words that our Lord left the church. He's gathered with the 11 disciples, the 11, why not 12? Because remember what happened to Judas, sadly. And he's surrounding them there on that, they're surrounding the Lord on the mountain, there is Jesus standing there with his glorified body. His hands still have the nail marks. And then he says to the disciples, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power in heaven and on earth. Some politicians like to think that's been given to them. Now, the Lord says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this last line must have been absolutely striking, because here's our Lord now. He's just giving them what's called the Great Commission. I want you to go out into the whole world, and now I want you to proclaim Christianity. And he says to them, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And then at that moment, they're thinking, all right, we've got a new mission. We're going to have our Lord with us. We're going to go proclaim the gospel. And then what, what happens next? Jesus leaves. 
they would have been thinking, Jesus, what are you talking about? You just told us you're going to be with us to the end of the age. And then it said that he ascends into heaven. If you and I were there, immediately our first thought would have been, Jesus, where are you going? Because let's be honest. It is hard to proclaim Jesus Christ in this world. It is hard to convince people to change their lives and to make their moral life conform to the teachings of the church. It is hard to enthrone Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. And if you think about this, you think, what are you talking about, Father? It's 2,000 years later after this fact, if you look at the, at the world, it looks like we're winning. There's 8.8 billion people on planet Earth. One-third are Christians. 2.2 billion. That's amazing. One-third of humanity are Christian. And then of that 2.2 billion Christians on Earth, there's 1.3 billion Catholics. In the United States, there are 68 million of us. California, we are one-third of the population of the state. 10 million out of the 30 million that live here. You're thinking, wow, look at these stats. We're the largest religion in the United States. We're the largest religion on planet Earth. We are the continuous longest institution that has ever existed in humanity. Not too bad, 2,000 years later. But we're not about statistics. Listen to the words of our Lord. Go, therefore, and make disciples. There's a difference between a nuance between a disciple and somebody that's simply a Christian in name only. We can baptize all day long, but that does not translate to somebody who loves Jesus Christ. You can come to church every single Sunday, sit in those pews and say all the prayers. Your body is here, but the disciple their heart is in love with the Lord. And that takes time, that takes work, that takes sacrifice, that takes discipline. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is not easy. The ascension, the teaching that our Lord ascends into heaven, occurred on a very specific time period. It was 40 days after the resurrection. So remember, so of course we celebrated Easter not too long ago. And then from the moment that our Lord rose from the dead, the next 40 days, Jesus is now appearing and teaching the disciples, forming them. And so when the Lord now ascends into heaven on the 40th day, that number specifically would have merely resonated with the first century Jewish people. Do you recall the number 40, other examples in sacred scripture? First time we hear the word 40, or the number 40, think back to Genesis chapter 7 and 8. 
the great story of Noah and the ark. How many days was Noah aboard that ark? Forty. Because if you recall, after the fall of Adam and Eve, what happened is that sin had entered into the world, death and suffering. And so God decided to send the flood to cleanse the world for 40 days. Next. How long, do you recall back in the book of Exodus when Moses was in Egypt and he freed the Israelites out of slavery from Pharaoh? How many days do you recall when they were journeying from Egypt to the promised land in the desert? How many? Forty. Because it took 40 years to purify the hearts of the Israel people. Because they had picked up horrible habits from the pharaohs. And so God had needed to cleanse them. Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus began his public ministry, after the first miracle at the wedding at Cana, immediately after the wedding of Cana, Jesus goes out into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. How many days was our Lord there in the wilderness? Forty. That number resonates. Jesus was being battling and tempting and showing us the example. Now, finally, Jesus, when he ascends back into heaven after the resurrection, takes 40 days. Because the message is clear. He is purifying the disciples for those 40 days before he launches them out into the dangerous, wide world. And we see this beautifully in the first reading, why the disciples needed to be purified. Look at the question in the first reading today. They asked Jesus, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the disciples are still thinking like the politicians. They're still thinking like the politicians and, and, the, and the people around Washington, D.C. Kingdom means power. Influence. Kingdom means riches. You see, what's happening here, we see perfectly through that little line. The hearts of the disciples are still far from Jesus. They still want their earthly pleasures. And Jesus knows this, so he purifies them. And now comes to us. A Lord ascends into heaven and he leaves the role and the hard task to go out into the whole world now and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does this to increase our faith so that we put skin in the game. Because you imagine, if Jesus was up here right now, if Jesus gave the homily, wouldn't that be amazing? Jesus, please, as pastor of St. Mary's, give the homily. (laughs) Everybody in here, their eyes would be locked in on Jesus. Hanging on every single word and gesture, listening to Jesus Christ. Ah, but now that Jesus ascended into heaven and he gives us the Holy Spirit to go out into the whole world, you and I now must work. 
Or how about our Lord now who sits at the right hand of the Father? Do you guys know what Jesus is doing at this very moment? What our precious Lord is doing? Jesus at this very moment is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Strengthening us for the mission. And he sets our hope and our hearts in heaven. My brothers and sisters, Jesus will give us the Holy Spirit when he sends the gift of Pentecost. Our Lord himself said that it is better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have his physical presence so that we may go out into the whole world and convince everybody that we meet to repent, to turn their life, and to give it to Christ. But it must first begin here. Are we disciples of the Lord? Or mere Catholics in name only? See, I don't care about the stats. Nor should we. I'd rather see ten on fire and love Christians than three billion lip service Christians. Jesus wants our hearts. Nothing more, nothing less.